Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 16th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Words of Jesus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the master's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. Well, the poor man died, was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was being tormented. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water. Cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, child, remember, during your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus, in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so. And no one can cross from there to us. He said, then, Father, I beg you, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not come also to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. I have a great legacy of 40 years of failed children's sermons to lean on. I, I just came from the, what's it called? Adult living? What are they? Living, faith. living faith. I got there a little late to hear, learn the title. Pastor Paul Hoffman was just terrific and reminded us, as the lesson says today in our baptism, uh, we deal first with resurrection from death. This is death and then life, not life, then death. And he did this over and over again and made it so simple that I thought, oh, I can talk about that. But my sermon today was about the chasm. Uh, I was going to tell you about how I Grew up in a pretty nice white privileged neighborhood of Rochester, New York, and my dad was the pastor of the downtown church. And my brother and I, on Wednesday and Friday afternoons, twice a week, we rode the bus downtown, about eight miles, to the inner city. When we got there, it was light, and there were business people and shoppers and the like. And we went to church and we had our choir rehearsal. It was the men and boys' choir, so the boys rehearsed for an hour and a half on, on Wednesday and then came back on, on Friday and the men were there and then re rehearsed for another hour and a half or so. I got paid 75 cents a week, so it was a pretty good deal. But we thought it was kind of sketchy going home when it was dark in the winter and all those business people and the shoppers had gone home and kind of low-life people were hanging around kind of edging us and I thought, Later on, I looked at back at the experience. I said, you know, that the church bridged the chasm. 
you know, the church was pretty white, but the congregation, the, the Sunday school was very mixed. And it taught us that we could all get along at church. Then later on, when I was 10, we moved to a New York suburb, and it was, again, a little more diverse, but pretty white. And our women's group, the Lutheran Church women of our congregation, got together with the Lutheran Church women at Transfiguration Lutheran Church in Harlem on 126th Street, and they visited there and tried to exchange pleasantries. And then the people from Harlem came up to Scarsdale, where our church was. And then the next time we did a home visit, they did a home visit in Harlem, and then they came up to our house in Eastchester, and my mom hosted this group, about 15 ladies from each church. And they got some very serious talking about how the women from Transfiguration really thought they knew everything about us because a lot of them had worked as domestic servants in the homes in Scarsdale next door. And our ladies were pretty quick to remind them that none of them had ever had a servant and that we weren't really like them. But still, they knew more about our way of life than we did about theirs. And the offshoot of this was that one of the teachers in our congregation got involved, the Scarsdale High School students, and they got some money together and rented a storefront on 125th Street. And Saturdays, a group of high school seniors from Scarsdale would go down and do tutoring and in Harlem, which was pretty radical. I'm talking about 1960, 1962, 63, something like that. So. I went to college in Ohio at Wittenberg in Springfield. We know it for fathers knows best. That's kind of set in the mythical Springfield. But actually, it was a pretty typical Midwestern town. The folks had come up from Kentucky in the 30s and 40s to work in the factories that were slowly closing and moving overseas. And there was a divide, a chasm, if you will, between the north side of town where the college was and, well, I worked on the weekends in a store on the south side of town, and it was us and them in many ways, and the Kentuckians, or former Kentuckians, or hillbillies, as they were scornfully called or whatever, um, came to the store where I worked. Now, I knew... From my upgrowing, I knew, growing up, I knew about Polish jokes, I knew about Jewish jokes. I loved Jewish congregation uh, group in our in our in our town, and they told the best ones. And we knew all these kind of ethnic jokes. And we got to Ohio; it was all about hillbillies and and worse. But then, when I got to work on Saturday, these people weren't jokes. These people weren't the brunt of a conversation. They were real people, and they were really struggling. And the fellow who owned the grocery stores, independent grocery store, would buy two or three train car loads of canned goods in the off-season and sell them for 10 cents a can. And so people would come and just take cases and cases of food home because he was basically selling at a cost. And once a month, he had a milk sale. You can't do that in this state, but he sold milk for whatever he bought it for. And he would tell people, take four gallons home and freeze it until you need it. And he tried to help people bridge that gap, the wealth gap. Where did I go after that, Nelson? I'm not looking at my notes here. Oh, then I would, for a few years, I commuted by train from Westchester County, lush green lawns and golf courses and stuff you see around here down to New York City and on the way we passed through Harlem and some of the poorest 
communities at that time in North America, and then we went through the tunnel and came out at, at Grand Central Station. And on that train rode some of the richest and most powerful people in this country. And on that train, on the way out, rode the domestic servants who kept their houses and people t took care of their children and so on. I knew about this because I'd driven a taxi back and forth from the station during all my college breaks. And I want to say that what I learned was that on that train, on those trains and on those cabs, some of the most brilliant, self-sacrificing people you'd ever want to meet rode that line. I talked to them in the taxi cab. I mean, these are people you work for the United Nations. They work for international food relief. They work for, they work for corporations, and, and they were bankers and investors who were trying to do the right thing and make it all come out. And then on those same taxi cabs and in those same trains were some of the worst people you'd ever want to know. They just... I mean, there were people we picked up that nobody wanted to ride in the cab with them. They were so angry and so fed up with life and, and uh, so mean-spirited. It was funny because I would take the people who worked as maids back to those houses, and some of them were just happy and loving and ready to take care of those families and do the things that they needed to do to help improve life for these people. But you knew the ones that were angry and, and tired and disgusted, too, because they were working for the people who were not so nice. And the same in every family, in every community. Uh, there are some who can get along and do it, and some who just don't make, don't make life very fun for anybody. One person sees a beggar on the street and says, what can I do to help? Can I give a meal? Can I give a job? Can I work for the structure to make sure that these people have training and so on? And then other people want to you know, drive by and maybe just nick them as they go by and not have a, not have a clue as to what, what the real issues are. Well, I want to take an individual life now. That's where I didn't heard this one before. But <laughs> um, Horatio Spafford. You may know him from Peace Like a River. Uh, he's the fellow who offered that. And the story along with that goes that he was in some business transactions and his family decided to go to England to hear Dwight Moody, the great preacher of the Great Awakening. And so at the last minute, he got called back for business and his wife and three daughters went on the ship and the ship was wrecked. And his wife told him that she was alone after the wreck. And he got on a boat and went to, went to England and as he passed over the spot where, his, where the accident happened, he wrote the words to Peace Like a River. Uh, it is well with my soul. And, and that's as far as it goes. Now, there's a little more to the story. And I learned that preparing for a memorial I'm going to do in some park in Reading this afternoon for a good friend. He was a real estate magnate in North Chicago, and everything was going right in his life, and he kept getting more properties and more wealth. And then, you know the story of kicking over the lantern in the bar, the bar and the cow in the Great Chicago Fire? He was wiped out. Everything he owned burned up in one night. So while he was pulling 
things together and getting his papers and getting, trying to resurrect his business fortune, he decides, in a great act of faith, to go hear Dwight Moody and see what he had for his life. And that's when he got called back for zoning meetings. His wife went, the kids died, so on. He met, met her in England, came back to the States. They had children again. They lost one of their sons to, one of their children to scarlet fever. And he said, that's it. I'm just hanging up my spurs. I wasn't meant for this life of, of wealth. And, and he got some friends interested, and they went to Jerusalem. In about 1885, he gets this idea to go to Jerusalem. They, call, they formed a group called the American Colony. And they start working with Muslims and Jews and Christians, Palestinians, all different groups and addressing their social needs and starting food banks and clinics. And he died a few years later. He's only 60 years old, but the work continued and they were rescuing Armenians in World War I and this American colony kept going. So he decided that his life of pursuit of wealth wasn't what really, he wouldn't really be successful at that. So he decided to go, like Timothy says, to godliness and and love and patience and caring for the neighbor. Well, Pastor Hoffman this morning, if I can find it. Pastor Hoffman talked about being resurrected, going from death to life in our baptism. And Luther talking, Luther saying every morning as you wash your face, remember I am baptized. Remember you are baptized. And he talked about the Red Sea event is part of our Easter vigil and the parting of the waters and the children of Israel moving from slavery to freedom. He talked about this image in our, lecture, in our, in our service. Every single week we talk about death and resurrection and the new life. And we're going from sin and forgiveness, Martin Luther tells us in the catechism. Baptism is a, is a gift of forgiveness for sin. And living for self is transformed into living for others. And that's what Spafford tried to do with his life. We're going to sing a song now. It's 785 in your hymnal. Look down, the red book in front of you. And maybe you know it by heart. 785, when peace lies. It's not in the bulletin. It's not up on the board. You have to be. We're going to sing two stanzas of peace like a river. And think about Spafford's life and moving from death to life. You don't have to stand up.
have to go to Jerusalem and start a self, uh, an aid service. What you need to do is remember your baptism where you are during the day and during the night and make the place a better place for everyone. Amen. <laughs>